Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. I love a conversation that pushes my buttons, and this is definitely one of those conversations. And at one point of the episode, I remember just saying, ouch, as I listened along to what Nicole was saying and heard the critique, but also heard the invitation into something new. And if we're willing to listen to voices like Nicole's, it makes me really excited about the changes ahead for us. One of the things that I really enjoyed about Nicole is that she has this disarming quality about her. And it makes you laugh and it draws you into her story. And then you meet the challenge that she's presenting. So what I want to say is that as we listen, if we experience some discomfort, can we stay with it long enough so that we can hear what the Spirit might be saying? Welcome, Nicole, to the Changes Ahead podcast. Awesome. Thank you. And Nicole, we just met recently. And so I'm really excited again to have some more conversations with you. And I came away just feeling the energy in what we were discussing and the ideas. So I'm looking forward to more of that. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I'm really excited to chat with you more tonight. Maybe as a, as a little bit of an introduction for the listeners who don't know you, what does it mean to be Nicole today? Yeah, so I'm Nicole and I live in Randwick Park in Manurewa, South Auckland and am part of an intentional community here with a few others in our neighbourhood and we've lived here for three years now and been part of intentional communities of some capacity for the last four and a half years. We are involved in youth clubs in the neighbourhood and have fostered for a few years and my training is as a youth pastor. I went to Kerry, which is where I met Stephen, and I worked as a pastor for a bit of time. And now I work for the Ministry of Education with students who aren't attending school or have low attendance. Mm. And I love it. It's awesome. But I also really love the community engagement and fostering. And yeah, I'm involved in a few different things, which is fun. Sounds like you have a pretty full, intense life at times. Yes. (laughs) I would say this year since about March is the first time that France and I, since we've been married, which is four and a half years, first good chunk of time where we haven't had kids with us. And I feel like, oh, this is what it feels like to be young and without kids and I can go out in the evening and I don't have to get a babysitter and I can eat dinner at seven o'clock and actually catch up on my washing so it's a very very new experience for both of us which is which is fun can you tell us a little bit about what has shaped you and what shapes your values yeah sure so I grew up as the eldest of four kids I've got three younger brothers which is super fun From a young age, I was, you know, a strong-willed child, as they say. And my dad says that they had to learn how to, what do you say, mold the spirit, not break the spirit, which was 
a challenge, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I um, grew up in church in an open brethren church and my dad was the chairman of the elders. We didn't have a pastor. So in some ways we were pastor's kids. We knew everyone and everyone knew us, which which I liked. I felt like I had my place, which was Mm. cool. I grew up in Wellington and moved to Auckland when I was 18 and started that journey of living out of home and working out who I was out of home, which wasn't a massive challenge for me. I think I was pretty sure of who I was from a young age. And Francois, my husband, often jokes and tells me that I'm just like my dad which is we all find funny in my family but is actually probably really true and I remember when I was really young after my dad was preaching at church I um, came away and was inspired and felt like I think this is what I want to do when I'm older and I wrote my own little sermon and I sat the family down in the lounge and I remember reaching to them and I remember being told that I wouldn't be able to preach when I was older because I was a woman Mm -hmm. and I thought what (laughs) what why did no one tell me this I can't believe it and I think it was around the same time my dad told me I also couldn't be the president of America because I wasn't born there and I thought that was also I was outraged (laughs) <laughs> two of my greatest hopes were dashed in one day wow. felt so unfair but yeah that was that was a shaping thing and I think you know in high school I was trying to work out what I wanted to do what I wanted to be and ended up coming to Auckland to do bible training and thought I'd be a youth pastor because I was a youth leader and I loved that. And I thought, okay, well, you know, like we can have women youth pastors, so that's all good. So that's how I ended up doing that. Is I always liked being involved in things at church. I was really passionate about Jesus, about young people in particular. Yeah, just about sharing my faith and about having fun. I think fun is really important. So that's how I ended up doing that. And if I remember rightly, though, I've I've heard you preach at Kerry, and so you've clearly not accepted that that rule from <laughs> from when you were younger. How has that kind of unfolded? Yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. I think my first few placements when I was studying at Kerry, I was in churches where there weren't women preachers, but I was around really empowering leadership. I'd say. And I sort of had to go on a bit of my own journey to work out what did I really think the Bible mm. says about this and culture and, you know, the world, how does this work and what do I think? And it was really hard at times because I thought, this doesn't really make sense to me. I don't get it. Yes. And, yeah, I just felt a lot of discomfort with it I guess Mm. and yeah I had to ask a lot of questions and I um, made a point to have conversations with people who I really respected from different backgrounds and came to the conclusion in the end that I did think it was a bit unfair (laughs) and that actually there's not different roles for different people God's given different gifts to different people but not based on gender Mm. which was exciting and 
scary, I guess, <laughs> that a lot of the things you sort of think are the way the world is and you start to question things. But as you both know, I'm someone who questions everything. <laughs> so that was okay. I like that, Nicole. I like that there was something intrinsic in you that said, I don't know why, but this just doesn't fit and it doesn't make sense. And I remember a word you said to me uh, recently was, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and I just love that something inside you at such a young age kind of knew to question that. And the fact that you didn't give up on questioning of that, you didn't just accept. And I also like that you named that it's an uncomfortable journey. It's not actually easy to be questioning, but you still sat with that, with that uncomfortableness and kept wanting to go, but why? Yeah, lots of whys, lots of why questions about a lot of things in life. And I don't think I'll ever stop asking why questions. <laughs> so as I think about the, the need for change in the church, it's quite easy for me to think about the things that are blocking change. And I don't want to get stuck there, but I also, I think it's helpful to name some of those things. And I think you've kind of hinted at it already as, as far as a, a narrative that women can't do certain things in the church. So would you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yeah, the, the good stuff and, and the challenges that you might've experienced. One good thing from my experience of different churches has been people in leadership who, even if they think something different, for example, people in open brethren churches who might, and this isn't true of all open brethren churches, sure. but the ones who don't have women preaching. I've been in those churches and had super empowering leadership. And I've been in Baptist churches with people who theologically think that, you know, it's all equal, who have been far less empowering. Mm. And the experience is polar opposite the most empowering leaders I've worked with are people who don't hold the identity in anything to do with the organized church and we can critique things together we can say why is it like this and I can say I think that was a waste of time and they <laughs> don't take it personally Wow. They will hash it out, sometimes agree, sometimes disagree. I'll say, why on earth do we do it like this? And it's not a critique on them. Mm. And they're really willing to unpack it and disagree while being so respectful, so wow. respectful. And never, even if we had different opinions, which we did have different opinions, but it never felt like a divide. It just felt like two people who love Jesus who are on the same team, who have different opinions. It's been interesting on my journey as a woman who grew up in a church where women didn't speak, who's trained as a pastor and preached, to see the difference, that it's not actually just about values, but it's also about, I guess, the leadership's own self-work. Yes. And that makes a massive difference. I love the comment you just made on on the leader's self-work. Mm, yeah. Would you talk a little bit about that for you? You know, what's what's been some of the work that you have done on yourself or are doing on this journey? I'm really interested in attachment theory and I've learned about that along the way through fostering mm. and doing various trauma-informed trainings and reading 
books and listening to people who have done it for a long time and trying to just gather information. I like I like learning. So I've read some really good books on that. And through that, I've learned a lot about myself <laughs> and my own attachment mm-hmm. and my own stuff, uh, triggers or yes whatever and that has been really challenging (laughs) and really interesting and I think since learning about that I can see that in others Mm. and Francois and I often talk about that in a reflection of yeah they don't know what they don't know they don't realize that maybe there's this going on for them and so they respond in a certain way I think learning about attachment has helped me a lot, helped me to learn about myself and helped me to have grace for other people. But I wish that it was something that was taught to pastors, especially we're working with a lot of people. And I know there's different theories, but I think attachment theory is pretty crucial to understanding the work of people, to understanding yourself. And really, I mean, if we want a great relationship with Jesus, you know, that's all about creating a secure attachment, (laughs) isn't it? Like that's, is how it is. That's our foundation. So yeah, I really agree, Nicole. I think that's a huge thing for us as pastors. We have to do our own work. Yeah, for sure. I think as people, we have to do our own work. Well, that's true. um, Especially as Jesus followers, you know, like if we think about understanding the chaos within ourselves and having grace and compassion for the chaos within other people, I think allows us to be more healthy. And ideally, as we heal from whatever things, all of us have got things, you know, then we are able to, I guess, not hold things so tightly or take Mm. things so personally. That's the ideal, eh? If someone can say, that was rubbish and it doesn't affect your sense of worth, you know. Yes. It's just a thing, you know, whatever it was, whether it was a dinner or a sermon or a paint job, you know, if someone can say that was rubbish and it doesn't affect who you are, then I think that's been the experience that I've found really empowering leadership as people who are healthy within themselves, that you can yes. critique things and you can question things and it's not a personal thing. It's just a thing that's separate from us. And I think that's one of the challenges for churches is because, or Christian organizations, is because our identity is, of course, so wrapped in our relationship with Jesus, that can be confused into our identity being wrapped into this organization that is church. And Mm. that can be really tricky to manage. Mm. our separation of ourselves from that because Jesus and church have somehow got all jumbled up together and it's one big thing but I don't know maybe I'm a bit cynical but to me the church is an organization with structures and policies and employment and Jesus is the person that I have relationship with Jesus is the reason I get up in the morning Jesus Mm. is why I do what I do why I make crazy decisions and try and live differently rather than the church but sometimes the two get a bit confused Mm. 
So recently when we were talking, you were sharing a really incredible picture. And I wonder if you could just share this with us. Yeah, sure. So last year I had this image of a massive boulder on the top of the hill. And I was thinking about how back in the day, the church was the center of society. Life was shaped around that, you know, shops were closed on Sundays and everyone went to church. It was how it was. And if you needed something, you'd go and see the church. And it was just known as the place to be and the place Mm -hmm. to help. And I just pictured this boulder, this massive boulder on top of a hill, just perfectly balanced there. And that was what everyone looked to, you know. But since then, you know, now the church is not the center of society anymore. But for some reason, we're still trying trying to make it the center and we're trying to be this thing that we're not that we used to be Mm. and I just pictured all of these people trying to push this boulder that's sort of just knocked off the hill they're just trying to push it back up to the top by this sort of like we'll get it back to what it was mentality and it's requiring all of our efforts to just come together and we need people to volunteer more and give more of their time and we're pushing and pushing and pushing. And I just wondered what would happen if everyone stepped back (sighs) and we just watched that massive boulder with all those beautiful memories and all of that tradition and connection that we have to family history and all of that beauty, but we just stepped back and watched it roll down the hill, gaining momentum as it went, and just watched as it smashed into a million little pieces. And then we all, slowly enjoying the view, taking in some fresh air, wandered down to the bottom of that hill, and we picked up one of those pieces, and we went, okay, God, what does it look like now? What do Mm. we do with these million little pieces Pieces. that are so much lighter for us to carry and there's so much more creativity that Mm. can be found and we thought of something new and instead of being on top of this hill in our strange little club (laughs) we actually took those little pieces and we went back into the town and we went back into our neighborhoods or our villages or our streets and we created something different I think it would be awesome because there's a lot of young people, I would say, in my age group. Mm. This can't just be me, who are a bit bored, who are a bit over it, who are a bit like, really, is this it? Is this all there is? (laughs) Is This is what we've been working for, for all this time. Mm. And now it's just the same as it's always been. We're Mm. hearing the same sermon I've heard since I can remember. And I can remember. (laughs) And I don't know, I look around and I think, if I did an anonymous survey, I would put money on the fact that 75% of people are also bored. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'm just a bit cynical. I just think it's, it's like, oh, gosh. If this is what drives 
people, you know, this picture that we paint of the gospel and of what it means to live out this radical Jesus life is just like church on Sunday and these messages about loving others and loving God and blah, blah, blah. I think, (laughs) really? What's fantastic about what you're saying, Nicole, is you're not just going, this is clearly it, because you have made some some decisions to live in a particular way. Mm, Um, Deeply informed by your faith and your relationship Mm. with Jesus and and your your upbringing within the church. So mm. you've talked about young, younger people, yeah, in, in your words, being being bored. How, how are you keeping yourself not bored while still also being <laughs> engaged with the church? Oh, gosh. Honestly, Stephen, I think I am a little bit bored if I think about the organised church. Yep. But mm. I've stuck at it because I think that we've lost people who have been bored in the past and we lose a lot of beauty there Mm. and I don't want to I'm a little bit too stubborn for that (laughs) and I think in some ways it it feels like it would be easier yes for myself and sometimes I think for Mm. the church if I left because it wouldn't be another agitating voice being like really come on as I said you know but I think I'm not going to do that because I wish that Mm. there was other people that I had looked up to who were going is this really it though (laughs) so I didn't feel like I was alone because I think I do sometimes wonder is there something wrong with me yes do I think very differently than everyone else like you know is this like a consumeristic perspective that I'm thinking I'm bored this can't be it but I don't know I think that I've seen other people around me who are doing things differently and I really appreciate that Mm. and I think that's why I've stayed is because you don't know who I don't want to say who notices that's not right what am I trying to say Maybe it is what you're trying to say, but it sounds hard to say about yourself, right? Yeah, like, because I do, I do wonder who the the people in in your community and your church community who are seeing the choices you've made around your your living situation and yeah, you know, mm. intentional community, the choices you've made around fostering kids mm. and your early years of marriage. Like, you have made some really significant decisions that show that the faith that the church is presenting isn't just restricted to that Sunday morning or that whenever someone happens to meet. So I think people will be, there will be people who notice. Yeah, I, I'm happy to, I'm really keen to affirm that. What I know of of your life, you know, outside of gathered church, you're embodying your faith in a way that perhaps you'd love to see more of. I would love to see more of that. And I, I wish that I saw more people who were really overwhelmingly in love with Jesus, you know, that you just look at it and it just like, they're just glowing, you know, mm. and their life is shaped around it, you know, but I don't want to be really critical because I don't want to be one of those people who gets really disillusioned by it all and goes, no one's doing anything. Mm. But sometimes I do. Sometimes mm. I think, oh, gosh, I just don't know if we're reading about the same Jesus. Like, you know, I when I look at passages like, how he, he came to 
set the captives free and, you know, sight for the blind and <laughs> all of this, that, this stuff. I think setting captives free wasn't just about, you know, evangelizing. I don't think it was about that at all. I think it was about literal freedom from prison. And if we look around our country, there's so much of that. There's so much injustice. There's mm. so much evil. There's so much evil in the systems that people are stuck in. Mm. And I think that I don't understand why Christians aren't the ones at the front who are fighting that. And mm. I know some Christians who are, and it's not to say that no one is, because of course people are, but I don't understand why more people aren't. I just mm. don't get it. Why we still are so short of foster parents. You know, I mean, that's the world I'm in. And, mm. and it's hard. It's blooming hard. Like, I'm not saying, oh, everyone should do it. It's all easy. Like, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. But I don't, I don't understand. We've got so many Christians. Why is that a, an issue? It just, I can't quite comprehend it because I think, it just doesn't add up to me. Like mm. the Jesus that we read about, who was flipping tables in churches because he was going, really, guys? <laughs> really? Is this your reflection of me? And that's yes. how I feel. Yes. I think if Jesus came back today, he wouldn't be caught dead in a church. <laughs> Why would he? Like, yeah. <laughs> I just, I know that's a bit ridiculous, but I just think, I just don't think it reflects him at all. I think if he went, he'd be like, seriously? This is it. This is what you've got from my life and death and resurrection. You've got three songs and a 20-minute sermon about loving others. And now everyone's going to go home to their separate homes, which most people own. And it, they've got big mortgages. So they have to work 40 to 80 hours per family a week just to afford it. So they can't be involved in their neighborhood. So love your neighbor. Chuck that one out the window. Like. This is this is what you've got from my life and death. Seriously, mm. that's it. <laughs> I think I think it'd be somewhat horrified, but not just like it's not about what we do. But I think if our life is a reflection of understanding and just like loving Jesus and just like desperately just wanting to follow Him, then surely it has to look different, right? Mm. How can it not? I don't know. I don't really understand, but that's a puzzle to me. I have to tell you that your language is just awesome. I love the way you go, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's just it's just the coolest line. And it and it in some ways it I feel like it makes it easier to hear it. Well, that's good. Because <laughs> it's kind of got the humorousness to it that it's ridiculous. Sometimes we need to step back. Yeah, yeah. Why do we do that? I think it's easier to talk about these really big and kind of controversial ideas when we can do it lightheartedly. Mm. You know, I think there's a lot of, if we talk from foster parent perspective, if you can say something in a fun way, you're going to disarm that fear part of the brain, which is what we all respond from. Mm. And especially in churches, when we talk about our identity, there's a lot of fear that comes with trying something new and letting go of what we've got because it's something we've held on to. It's such a like stabilizing thing that if we let go of it that's really scary so if we if we can talk about it in a light-hearted fun way I think that makes us feel a lot safer together mm. and a lot less fear and judgment and anxiety because 
it's a bit of fun to say that it's ridiculous. <laughs> when I first started thinking about what this podcast could be, this is exactly what I was hoping for. And I'm 125% on board. And yet there's still a part of me that goes, oh, ouch. Right? Like, which, which <laughs> yeah, is just totally. Just thinking about this idea of letting the boulder go, I think one of the scariest things is not knowing what will happen mm. once it crashes, <laughs> mm. is it's not like we're switching from one plan to another plan. It's, it's even different from going, oh, we're going to have more space for creativity and, and try doing something different. I just got this real sense that it was about really letting it go with no plan B and we're not going to be able to see what those tiny little rocks that we pick up look like until after we've walked down the hill and we've picked them up. Mm. And that is something that's like probably the most scary thing is it's not like we're transitioning from this big central hub to like home churches. So we've got, we're just going to chisel it down to smaller rocks and we're going to know what it looks like before we've done it. So everyone, you know, we can, take everyone through a process and yep. do a, have a discernment thing or, you know it's genuinely about letting it go mm. and not knowing what that looks like that was the sense that I got anyway was that it was just and that's terrifying it's mm. really really scary because there's so much unknown and, and unknown is really scary but yeah. I think that's the place that Jesus works best. I think that's the place God is often, most often trying to get us into. Yeah. Yeah. And is most active in. Uh, as I well. think so. Yeah. Think of, yeah. Think of the disciples arriving at the empty tomb, right? Like in this, yeah. just what the heck is going on? Yeah, but totally. And, you know, I think of the times where Jesus did stuff that. <laughs> The disciples and the followers were like, what are you doing? Yeah. You can't talk to that person. You can't sit with the woman at the well. Mm, yeah. You can't have that woman wash your feet with her hair and her perfume. Like, you you can't touch that leper. Like, mm. that's not what you're supposed to do. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. You just don't get it. Like, yeah. just back off <laughs> and actually listen to what I'm saying. Because you're not understanding like the capacity the the radicalness that's the word I keep coming back to is just how radical Jesus was mm. and when we look at what we have now it just doesn't feel that radical and that's mm. why I think I come to the conclusion that Jesus would be like seriously yep. seriously <laughs> um I think he was so radical and I think that somewhere along the way we've lost that Mm. I don't think we're going to get it back now as things are. That's why I think it needs to die a death and something new will come out of that. And we will maybe in the splitting apart have more room, have more space for contemplation, have more space for engaging in our neighbourhood, we'll have more space for thinking differently mm. for pulling all these expectations that we have of life apart, of having a house to ourselves. You know, maybe we'll have other people. We'll have multiple families. We'll have shared garden spaces. Maybe we will have 
people who read the Bible and see Jesus' heart for the poor and have more people move into neighborhoods that don't reflect them or the places they grew up, not because they have something to offer, but because I think Jesus has a bit of a bias for the poor and they want to be where Jesus is. Hmm. I don't know, just maybe it might just look a bit different. It's that rhythm again, isn't it? That it's life, death, and we hate the death part, but there's no shortcut and we have to let it go. And it does feel like death and there'll be huge grief. Massive and huge anxiety, just like the people watching Jesus die in front of them. Mm. And they're just like, this can't be right. This can't be how it's supposed to be. Like no one standing there would have understood that. No. No one would have felt at peace about that. Everyone would have bloody hated it it would have been awful but you never we never would have got to where we are to this relationship with jesus to having the holy spirit with us all the time that's incredible we never would have had that without this painful horrible traumatic death that didn't make any sense Mm. i don't see any other way around no there's only one way and it's it's through that and i sit here as a pastor to be perfectly honest and Mm. i squirm a bit there are days that I wonder if I'm just perpetuating or I'm one of those, well, not, I guess I'm not wondering. I am one of those people behind the boulder that you were saying that is holding it up, <laughs> right? And so I'm, I'm sitting here going, yeah, preach it. And I'm going, no, I don't like that because that means something has to change for me. Yeah. And yeah. that's scary. So thank you. <laughs> and I want to pick up too and say thank you as well because, because we don't want to lose you. Mm. We don't want to lose the, the heart that's coming out and the passion. And And what you were saying earlier, if I can pick that up, you were talking about if you think you're the only one, Mm. that's incredibly isolating. If you think you're the only odd one. And what we, I suppose for us, what we're hoping for is that there will be other people listening in going, I feel just like you, Nicole. And they need to hear your voice. And so just hearing you say that you're stubborn, I am so grateful that you're stubborn. Thank you for that quality that says, I'm going to stay here. And and thank you for going, I'm that annoying voice. I'm so (laughs) glad that you haven't silenced that voice. I'm so glad that that younger child in you, that when she was told she couldn't be a preacher because she was a woman, went, what? I'm so glad that that voice is still in you Mm. and that you are still going, what? (laughs) And that encourages me because there is no future without voices like yours. Thanks, Kathy. We definitely, we desperately need the agitators. Yeah, we need you. So I just hope that we can encourage you. Yeah, I find that really encouraging. It is hard to be an outsider in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you're part of this club that a mm-hmm. lot of people think is awesome. And you're like, I'm here, but I don't really think it's that awesome. <laughs> And that, that is quite hard. And you do mm. feel like a little bit of the, the troublemaker, the rebel, you know, and that's like not that fun. But I appreciate that. And I will do my best to stay. But I do hope there's more people like me mm. and that we can connect because it does get pretty disheartening. I'm not going to lie. It's, it is hard to be, to feel like the outsider even in a space that's all about belonging and not being an outsider. 
yeah, it's it's not easy and it's not really fun either. But I have to give my dad credit for my stubbornness because he's exactly the same. So <laughs> my brothers were right. I <laughs> just like him. What do you say to the me's of the world, to the pastors of the boulders who are holding the church? Yeah, doing our best. Yeah, of course. But also there are many of us, I think, who know that we do probably need to let go of some things. I think the thing that I would encourage pastors and leaders is twofold. First, to really examine yourself and where your identity and worth might be getting entangled with the organization, with you know, church as a structure, with Sunday services, with programs, things like that. Because I think that's a really tricky space to be in. You know, as Christians, it's a big part of who we are. And I think even more so for pastors, it's a big identity thing. And I think it's really important for pastors and leaders to do some critical thinking about where those things might be getting entangled, to really evaluate themselves and Mm. their own heart and Mm. where it might be getting mixed up, because that's really blimmin' hard to ask questions and to critique things and to let things go if it's part of who you are and who you see yourself as and where you fit in in the kingdom and all of that Christian stuff. If it's about your identity. And then the other part is to be really willing to ask questions. That's something I do about everything. I think it is like a muscle. It's something you practice. And if it's not natural to you, find some people who do ask a lot of questions. Mm. Find some people who who love the process of looking at things from different angles because we need to unpack things. And I think the first step of examining where our identity lies is really important because you can't ask questions and tear something apart that's part of your identity. Mm. You can't Mm. look at why do we do this service on a Sunday? Why do we have a 20-minute sermon? Why do (laughs) we have an eldership? Why do we seem to have only white people speaking? Why do we seem to only attract middle-class people when our church is in a different socioeconomic area what Mm. how come it's not a reflection of the true neighborhood you know why is it the way it is because I'm always asking those questions and I guarantee there'll be other people who are asking those questions Mm. but it's pretty tricky sometimes in churches to unpack that and we're never we're never going to let go of the boulder if we have some, you know, we have half a dozen old stubborn white guys just holding it there forever. And the rest of us are going to, you know, we'll find another way to express our love for Jesus and our connection. So I think it's important to put some people around to ask why, to unpack it, to look at it from all angles and to be willing to be creative with it. As we're finishing yeah, you, you've expressed this desire to to connect with others who are thinking like you. If there are people who are listening to you going, yes, that's me, I'm, I'm with you, Nicole, what would you say to them in their space? I think one thing that people who are resonating with this should do within themselves is just, I think, to sit with yourself and acknowledge the fact that you're created in God's image. And so you might feel different and you might feel like you don't quite 
fit in with the the group with the club but that you're created in god's image and it wasn't a mistake mm-hmm. and your feelings of disillusionment or disappointment or isolation or just like you're different is not a reflection of you not fitting in with God Mm. (laughs) that he created you in his own image and it wasn't a mistake Mm. you are how he wants you to be and you reflect him and that's important Mm. Because I think I need to tell myself that because I often feel like, oh, oh, that was that wasn't quite right, or there's something <laughs> like I'm not like everyone else. So maybe it's a problem with me, but actually that God created me in his image. So it was it wasn't a mistake. Mm-hmm. I am who he wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. And I have a place and a purpose. And I reflect parts of him that others don't. Yes. And that's, wow. not, that's not something bad about others, but it's something cool about me. Mm. Oh, I like that. And that is also, it's okay to acknowledge that that's really hard. Mm. And that kind of sucks sometimes that you're not part of the majority, mm. or at least that you don't, that you feel like that. Because mm. uh, I feel like that. And I think, oh, why God, why didn't you just create me like everyone else just like a nice person who's really empathetic and really like yeah like really christian in that way but he didn't and it wasn't a mistake he did it on purpose he created me this really strong-willed confident kind of strategic like think everything through break everything down kind of person and it was on purpose and that reflects parts of him you know mm. which is cool yeah. yeah i think that's what i what i want to encourage people that it wasn't a mistake that you're different so nicole just listening to you you're one of the reasons why this podcast is so important to me is because i want to give voice and we do want to care for people like you And so what you've shared is the whole reason for this. And so I just hope other people listening that it does the same thing, that it's a way of caring for them. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me as part of it. It's pretty cool. It's it's exciting and encouraging to have a space to talk about things that I like and don't like because there's not too many spaces where you are allowed to say this is ridiculous so I really appreciate the the freedom to do that and to not feel like a bad Christian for saying that I think it's ridiculous so I think it's cool and I hope that the people listening are encouraged as well Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Changes Aheadcast or Twitter at Ahead Changes. See you next time.